1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. So let's give our attention now to John chapter 20. I'm going to read the whole thing. Here's how the scriptures speak to us this morning. John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you.' And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld.'" Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "'We've seen the Lord.'" Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. In the book, The Return of the King, J.R.R. Tolkien describes the sort of hope that characterizes resurrection life, and he puts it in his own characteristically masterful way. Let me read you a snippet which starts with the words of the hobbit, Sam. Sam starts by saying this, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land, and as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. In the return of the king, the joy that's in this particular passage comes from one character seeing another that he thought was dead and realized that he had not died, but he was still there. And then realizing that the darkness had been vanquished. And then the words that stick. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Those words are words that are written by someone who has this sort of resurrection hope and can articulate it in a beautiful way that has stuck with generations upon generations of people. Those words capture something of the beauty of Easter. At Easter, we see the beginning of the promise that everything sad is going to come untrue. We see that there are three different types of sadness that are made to be untrue through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 20 in this Easter story. The first one is the sadness of loss. The second is the sadness of denial. And the third is the sadness of doubt. Each one of them, because Christ Jesus is alive, each one of those sadnesses made to be untrue by the power of the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So let's walk through each of those. The first is the sadness of loss. As you get into John chapter 20, one of the things that's so striking about the passage is that every character is utterly surprised that Christ Jesus is alive. No one is expecting it. Now, the Gospel of John has been giving us hints that this is going to be happening all throughout. Jesus demonstrates that that the whole Old Testament was pointing to this reality that he would die and rise again from the dead. He said to his disciples over and over about the fact that he would die, but not stay dead. And yet, everyone is utterly shocked. Now, this can be surprising as we find ourselves in the text this morning because we're so familiar with the Easter story. Everyone is. If you live in the culture of which we are a part, you will know something of the Easter story that on Easter, Christians celebrate that Jesus is alive. One of my favorite comedians is a man named Gary Gulman, And he says in one of his stand-up bits that Aslan is the most obvious Christ figure in all of literature. And he says that he's able to pick that up as a secular Jew and a second grader. He said when they were reading it in their second grade class, all the other, uh, all the other kids were crying. And he said, and I spoke to them, dry your tears. I'm pretty sure this Aslan guy is going to be back on Sunday. It's a great little bit that talks about this fundamental understanding that we have that death is not the end, but that resurrection is coming. But all of the disciples are utterly shocked by this. It's totally unexpected in John 20. John even says it in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And this is true for every one of the characters It was certainly true for Mary, Mary Magdalene, who's the one at the tomb and the first one to witness that Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. Mary sees two angels inside this tomb where Jesus had been raised from the dead, where he'd been laid and and then where he had gotten up from. And it's really shocking the way that she interacts with them. We need to understand that angels are not simply those like cherubs with wings and hearts, you know, like bow and arrows that we see on Valentine's Day. That's not what an angel looks like. An angel is a mighty warrior messenger, a heavenly glorious Messenger, I mean, one of the words is is seraphim for angels, and that means burning ones, literally. It's, It's something that is, it's a messenger that's glorious, and almost every time an angel encounters somebody in the Bible, Old Testament or New, what they have to say first is, don't be afraid. Because if you or I were to encounter an angel, we would be afraid. And so almost every time an angel encounters a human being, they have to say first, don't be afraid. But they don't have to say that to Mary because she's so overwhelmed with trying to figure out where Jesus is that the first words that they speak to her are not, don't be afraid. They're, why are you weeping, woman? Why are you weeping? Mary is so overcome with the loss of Christ Jesus and the fact that she does not know where the body is that she is not astounded by being in the presence of not one, but two angels, two mighty heavenly messengers. Instead... She's so focused on her, her teacher, on Jesus, that that's all that she can talk about. Why are you crying? And she says, well, somebody's taken away the Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. So remote for her is the possibility that Jesus might be alive. That what she says is the body's gone. Obviously, somebody's stolen it. Somebody's placed the body somewhere. Somebody is somebody's doing something terrible to the body of my teacher. And she's so overwhelmed with the loss that her tears fill her eyes, so that when she turns, she can't recognize Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener until he just speaks her name, Mary. And she recognizes in an instant that everything sad is becoming untrue. And she does what any one of us would do if we were to see again someone we were sure we had lost she gives him a hug. Because Jesus says, don't cling to me. So it's not, just a, it's not just a quick hug. It's a clinging to hug. Don't cling to me, Jesus says. So joyous is Mary that she's overwhelmed and just gives her Savior a hug. The first person that I ever remember uh, making this connection was uh, the seminary president of the seminary I went to and my mentor, Bob Godfrey. He was preaching on Easter morning, and he noted that this is the most perfect response to give Jesus a hug. And then he said it and he cried and he couldn't go on for a little bit. I caught him after the service or maybe at seminary later that week and I thanked him for his message and I thanked him for that incredibly poignant note that she saw this one that she was missing and so, so longing for that her response was absolutely perfect, that she, she gave him a hug. When I thanked him, he apologized for crying, and that apology was utterly unnecessary. He said that as he mentioned it, he looked down at the congregation and saw a member who had laid her own husband to rest that week. And he said, I know that if she were able to see him again, the first thing that she would do would be to hug him. And Dr. Godfrey had to bury his own daughter recently. And I know that if he were to hear her voice and turn and see her there, the first thing he would do would be to hug her. And if you've lived long enough and lost a mom or a dad, or your husband or your wife, or a dear friend, or a child, I'm sure that you recognize that your response would be the same as Mary here when she recognizes Jesus, to simply embrace. Well, I've got good news for you. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the promise that all of the sadness of loss is becoming untrue. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is described in 1 Corinthians 15 as first fruits, which means that it's a promise promise that the, the rest of the harvest is coming, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and all who are joined to him by faith will also be raised from the dead. And the fact that Jesus has gotten up is what makes it certain for us. It means that those who live in the Lord never see each other for the last time, because the promise for all is life right now and life everlasting. And I can also promise you that when you are in glory and you see the one that you've lost and you're you're fixated on the reunion of this person that you've lost, if you were to hear the voice of the risen one, Christ Jesus, your response would be to turn away from whoever that was, no matter how deep the bond, and run to Jesus and embrace him. The whole hope of your life and mine is to see the risen Christ. And since he is worthy, most worthy, he will be the one to receive all of our attention, the one who conquered death, the one who makes it so that loss itself becomes untrue. And also, don't miss how Mary recognizes Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep know my voice. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus by sight but she recognizes him when he speaks, when he just says her name. This demonstrates that she is one of his own, and she believes. She understands that it's him when he speaks, and she gives him a hug.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's com.
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe. Focusing on the Gospel of John, we pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how we can hear the voice of Jesus? Whenever we read the Bible, we hear his voice. Jesus speaks it to you this morning. We've heard his voice this morning through the reading of the scriptures. He is speaking to you so that you might understand what Mary did, that death has died, love has won, Christ has conquered. And if you hear his voice and your response would be like that of Mary, that testifies to the fact that you are his, that you're his sheep. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will truly live. And you will realize that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the loss of death becomes untrue. Here's the second sad thing that becomes untrue with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sadness of denial. There are two disciples who commit terrible sins against Jesus in the chapters leading up to his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. The first one is Judas, who's known as the betrayer, who hands Jesus over to the authorities to be crucified The second is Peter, who in his moment of greatest need, as Jesus stands trial and and so many of the disciples have run away, Peter has the opportunity to just admit that he knows who Jesus is and three times he denies him. It's terrible. It is a terrible, terrible denial of the Lord Jesus Christ and a horrible sin. What Judas did and what Peter did are really not all that different. And yet one is known to us now as the betrayer. The other is known to us now as the rock upon which Christ Jesus would build his church. That's what Jesus says to Peter. We know him as the one who stands up at the beginning of Acts and with incredible boldness tells all of the people whom he had just been afraid of. You killed Jesus, but the father raised him again from the dead. So you better believe something different happens in peter there's something that's transforming there's something sad that becomes untrue and that is Peter experiences forgiveness, the sort of forgiveness that comes through a true and genuine repentance. Whenever you or I sin, whenever we do that which displeases God, whenever we take action that is against God's will, our tendency is to run away from him. It has been from the very beginning in the garden after the man and the woman sinned and fell into sin and plunged all of humanity along with them. When the Lord speaks to them, they run away and hide themselves. That is the tendency of every human heart when we recognize God's glory and our sinfulness. And that's what Judas does. He's struck by his betrayal. And so he tries to hide, tries to hide himself and takes his life. Peter's response is different. This is the only thing that, that differentiates them. Peter and Judas, both sinners. But when Peter hears that... That something's different than what he would have expected. He runs towards where Jesus was. He runs to Jesus. And he's slow. And he's huffing and puffing. And this again is why I identify with Peter more than any other disciple. And I love that John puts in that little note. Peter was pretty slow, so he took a while. He's the old man that I just blew past. I had to wait for him at the entrance to the tomb. And he gets there, probably ready to collapse from fatigue. I know what that's like. And he stumbles into the tomb and sees that Jesus isn't there. But, but that it's not a scene of a crime. There's no struggle. There's no destruction. In fact, even the grave clothes are, are folded neatly separate from each other. If this is a crime of someone stealing the body, it is the neatest criminal Peter would have ever encountered. And John says that as they look, they finally understand what Jesus was talking about when he said he needed to rise from the dead. They finally get it. And just that act of running to the tomb is itself an act of repentance. Peter had just denied the Lord Jesus. And now just a couple days later, just a few days later, he runs to him. The one who can offer forgiveness. Today, if you've been trying to self-justify or hide yourself from God because of your own sin, stop running from him and run to him. Run to Jesus Christ. Because forgiveness of sins is found in no one else. And the only way for your own sin to become untrue is to trust in Jesus. Repent of sin. Be restored by him. So run to him. Here's the last sadness in the passage. The sadness of doubt that's made untrue. You know, the gospel writers are very honest about the weakness of the followers of the Lord Jesus. The Bible is very honest about the failings of all of those that would follow. After Jesus is very honest about the suffering and hardship that those that trust in the Lord God experience. And and how so often they're unable to be constant, consistent, courageous. And that's the case with Thomas. Again, no one expected that Jesus would rise again from the dead. And when Thomas comes back and the rest of the disciples are there and they tell him, we just saw the Lord, Jesus is alive, he doubts. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's an astounding thing to say. We saw Jesus. I mean, I know that we all witnessed the fact that he died and that he was buried, but he's alive now. He's actually alive. And Thomas says, I don't believe it unless I'm able to get concrete scientific evidence. I'm not going to believe it unless I'm able to put my finger inside the hole that was made by the nail. I'm not going to believe it. I'll never believe it unless I'm able to put my hand inside that side that was pierced. I will not believe that it was Jesus. It must've been somebody else. You must've imagined it. It must be a dream or some other sort of thing. I don't believe it. And this is a sad part of it. Jesus has appeared to the disciples. They give to Thomas who had been with him for a long, Period of time, a true testimony, and he's like, Nah, science is what I trust here. So if you're able to give me definitive proof that Jesus is alive, then, then I'll believe. Otherwise, y'all can believe whatever you want. I'm gonna keep my head about me. And Jesus is so gracious, isn't he? Because he um he appears to Thomas and all the disciples, and he says, All right, that's what it takes. Go for it. Here, touch my hands and my side. I am the person that I'm claiming to be. I am really alive, Thomas. So Thomas does it. And and his doubt is immediately transformed into belief. And Thomas does something glorious. He gives the clearest description from a, a, a person other than Jesus in John's Gospel of who Jesus is. He says, my Lord and my God. He recognizes, okay, if you are alive, you must be who you've been claiming to be. You must be God. You are my God. You're my Lord. I'm yours. I'm following you from now on. You've got me. And, and, and history tells us that Thomas went and took the gospel to far regions and died for it. He he ceased being doubting Thomas for the rest of his life. He was trusting Thomas because because Jesus appeared to him and made it so that his doubt became untrue. We need to see Christ Jesus also. It may be that Jesus comes and appears. I've heard that some places where the gospel, there's a gospel hardness that Jesus actually appears to people and and invites them to believe. And that conversions have this story of Jesus appearing and inviting them to believe. It may be that that he is gracious enough to do that to you. If you're here this morning and you don't believe. But there's something else that I should say. And that is, in, in the book of Galatians, Paul says to the Galatians, Hey, before your very eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed as having been crucified. You might think, well, what does that mean that Jesus was publicly portrayed? And, And what it very likely means is that the preaching of the gospel was so clear from Paul that it was... Almost like the Galatians could see it happening. That's how, that's how much conviction there was to the gospel message that Paul was preaching. That is how much clarity there was to the gospel message that Paul was preaching. That's how compelling and vivid it was. That you can see Jesus when you hear him preach clearly. You can see Jesus if you listen to his word. And in this section of scripture, there's so many wonderful details that just increase how vivid it is. And so if you need to see him to believe, look to John 12. because it is vivid enough for us to see that Jesus is alive and don't disbelieve, but believe. And uh, you can see that the whole book has been leading up to this. It all tells us what the purpose of this book is. There's actually a heading. If, If you look there, you can see that John 20 ends by telling us the whole purpose of this book. John wants us to be unable to miss what he's trying to do. And so he makes it as obvious as possible. He gives us a purpose statement and the editors of the English Standard Version are like, yeah, so just pay attention because John's just telling you, here's the whole point of this chapter and of the book. The whole point is that we might believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing,
0: Again, that's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema,
1: and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. Thanks again for joining us.